everyone, welcome to Heart's Happiness Podcast. The place where I, Manpreet, share my journey of healing intergenerational family trauma to help you to understand your story. I share a bunch of tools and tips that will transform your mental health and allow you to find your own heart's happiness. So exciting, right? Each episode will cover one of three areas. One, raising awareness of what this trauma actually is and how it hides in our lives. Two, tools, tips, support, lots of different things that I've used to get better and heal from this trauma. And three, I'll be connecting you with so many specialists and therapists and coaches as guests on my show. So we are going to transform your mental health and empower you to take your healing by the hands and move forward. Welcome to another episode and welcome to December. How crazy is it that this crazy year is nearly over. Well, I've got a special episode for you today, which is a little bit different to the ones that I've had before. I am going to be interviewing my mum, Sarinda Johal, and we are going to be talking about the intergenerational trauma that was in our family. And the reason why I thought this would be good is, first of all, it's Christmas time and we have to hang out with our families a lot more, which can be kind of triggering and stressful. (laughs) So I thought that this would be a great way for you to start looking at your own family and what trauma is in your own family systems. So you can maybe have a little bit of understanding of why our parents behave the way that they do and how maybe they don't have all the answers. So she's very kindly come on to speak about her life growing up as an immigrant in this country and bringing up her family and the issues that she had around abuse and trauma that she's faced herself and then how that impacted me and my brother so it's an interesting episode it's a little bit different what I would ask is that when you listen obviously it's very specific to our story but that you and it's very personal as well but that you start to think about your own family and maybe some similar themes that you can notice um, repeating because it's through awareness that we're able to change these behaviors. So I'm going to start speaking to my mum now. Hi, everyone. I'm just going to introduce you to my mum, Sarinda Johal, who's going to be answering some questions on intergenerational trauma. So we're going to be using our family as an example to make you think about some of the themes and traumas that you were experiencing in your own family so if you feel like you can't ask your parents these questions then hopefully we're going to cover that during the session mum do you want to i'm just going to call you mum throughout this i can't call you surrender because that's weird you came to the uk when you were three and i talk a lot about the traumas that people have experienced what would you say were some of the ones that you experienced from a young age especially i'm guessing you didn't even meet your dad until you were like I met him I uh, I met dad when I came into this country so I was born after a few months after he came into the country so I never met him till I came into this country and my mom back there was on her own she was ill she had her own staff coming into this country it was one shock upon another shock for them for us and I think they were dealing with their stuff but they also had their responsibilities. So they thought as long as they were doing the basic, that's all that was needed. Well, I guess coming to this country, they would have been driven by making money and giving you guys better opportunities than you would have had in India. So that would, that was was the, yeah, it was about, it was like, make sure they're educated, not just my brothers, but me and my sister as well, because that means we could, my, my dad always said that to make sure we could stand on our own two feet never went into it because we never had discussions it was very silent you couldn't challenge anything growing up it was this is what you need to do you couldn't say well why yeah It, it wasn't an option sure sure so you were really young when you got here I'm guessing you don't really remember much from when you arrived like so you you don't remember India or anything like that I only know what my aunts have told me they raised me they used to look after me that I they they all loved playing with me and looking after me that's all I know I can't remember any of it yeah sure so do you remember coming to the UK and like what your experiences were with like racism because you came in the 60s so that would have been the first time that people in the UK even met brown people we came in 1960 uh, I was three years of age I was the youngest so racism I mean we were the only Asian family in the street 
my brothers and sister went to school. I was at home, just left to do whatever really, not, didn't have toys or they didn't have money for toys. And my mom got on with the housework, but there was no sort of, what do you fancy for dinner? It was just feel I was just left in a corner, so to speak. Mm, that's um, how I feel too. <laughs> we're, getting, <laughs> we're getting. And then going to school, it was about, you know, you were the only sort of, we were the only family. Yeah, sure. You know, and it was you packies, why don't you go back? And and you and actually you'd look at what and you'd think, well, these people, they're so fair. You didn't really understand that they were, you know, this was a different, you know, they were white people, British people. Yeah. Because it wasn't talked about that way at all. (laughs) All you were told, you were Paki. And it was like, well, I'm not a Paki. I'm Indian. Do you know what I'm, it was like that. But I guess your parents never told you that you were coming to a new country, making sure that you're okay or, you know, settling you in or any there of those. Was, there, there, there was none of that for any of us. I think they were settling in themselves. My mom didn't speak the language. She yeah. didn't go out. To, so she was in the house all the time. Mm. And my dad worked night, always worked nights. And it was like, once he left, nobody left the house. There was no interaction in the weekdays because he went to work at four o'clock in the afternoon. So if we were going to school and stuff, we didn't really see him all week. Mm. And then when he got in in the morning, he went to sleep and we went to school and stuff. Yeah, I think that's like really common. Like when I've been speaking to other people about, you know, their families being immigrants in this country, it's just a lot of focus on earning the money, but getting a house, you know, because everyone was sharing a house with other people at the beginning. So real, I, I know you guys weren't super, super poor, but that there is poverty. There. I, I think I, I was actually going to put that right. We weren't super poor later, but when we first came into the country, I mean, my dad had got here sort of three years earlier. He'd bought a house. So you okay. imagine okay. He, he'd got a house. We had lodgers. It was only a small terrace. But you imagine with four kids and then we had two lodgers. So they needed a room. So all the rooms were packed. And then uh, my mama came, uh, my uncle, and he was there. And all the rooms were packed. But then mm. the bills had to be paid. Yeah. Plus, there was responsibilities. And, and I think that's what, in their heads, it was about the responsibilities that they had back in India. Like my dad had two sisters who had to be married. So the money, ha- so he, he was the breadwinner. And I think that's what he was consumed with, was in terms of making sure that they all got their education and got married. And for us, that was his focus. Make sure we got educated. Had a good CV. To get yourself married. To get myself, yeah. Uh, you know, could cook, make rugby. And that was, you know, and there wasn't any discussions of, you know, what subjects do you want to do? Sciences. It was all about the sciences. Yeah, I mean, your dad yeah. was quite quite different from other people of his generation, which mm. was that he really wanted his daughters to study, which was kind of unheard of in those times. That's correct, yeah. But, but the thing is, is that I guess they were so focused on, you know, surviving almost in a country that didn't want them, <laughs> to be honest. Like, yeah, it exactly. It's so true. I mean, we, we didn't go out to pot. There was no, it was a completely different world. I didn't know what a park was. Yeah, we didn't go out. So as a you didn't. Family. You didn't play when you were little, like didn't, in the garden. That was it. I had yeah. one dog, and that was it. You know, there was food on the table. You know, I wore hand me downs, but you know, it was just about the family. I didn't really. And gradually, more people came over. Like uh, my uncles came over, so it started to build. But it was always with family it was about family the important bits were family you didn't talk about things but family as in you're together but you weren't yeah exactly always knew that they cared they loved you in their way but nobody ever said it yeah well then how does a little person know that mum you know like that's what i'm saying so so it was so you're always you say that now as an adult but like time you wouldn't have known that right you would have been in a house on your own because you're four years younger than your siblings so if you were there by yourself 
and you know your mom's just getting busy doing the housework being a good wife exactly wife in quotes and not really giving you time and attention that's what everybody did but really that's it wasn't okay yeah Uh, it wasn't uh, but didn't know any better yeah sure they didn't know any better they thought they were they were by the fact getting yeah. us suiters the right sort of people get getting us educated and yeah. which people frowned upon the why are you getting your daughters married they'll run away oh why aren't you getting them married younger uh, yeah and also why are you educating them yeah sure no I can you know imagine. they'll think for themselves and it was like well women shouldn't think for themselves yeah and that's what I mean you know you couldn't get into a discussion about anything there was no discussion and you and I know you were really close to your mum, but did you ever talk to her about things, like how you felt about things? or Sort of, I like to be round her. I always felt safe. Yeah. Just being round her. Not that she said much, but she sort of cooked. Her face lit up when somebody came round. And that's how she showed it. And I think the problem is you then follow the way your parents did things. Mm. because that's all you know and that's the norm and that becomes your belief system yeah it's only when you reflect back later that you realize you didn't do a good job obviously they were showing you a certain way but growing up like that and obviously you've been brought up in a Punjabi family where I'm guessing you know you knew pretty young that at a certain age you're going to have to get married to someone you don't know exactly yeah I'm guessing you knew that pretty young. I would have thought I knew it all my life. Yeah, I think most people did. I mean, did you have any feelings about that? But I guess your feelings were never discussed. So it was just like, well, it that's, was, that's, what that's I mean. what's Emotions happening. were never discussed. You're not supposed to sort of look at any, forget, talk to somebody. It was all about getting your CV together. Yeah, CV yes. to get married. To get married. Yeah, know, sure. All the qualifications. I, can make a, I could make a good curry. For make yeah. Good early age but it was it was like that's what it was all about that was the honor because we were the honor of the family as in the daughters daughters. but then having said that I would say my brothers were it wasn't like they could go off and do whatever they want in that respect they were treated exactly the same as well and I think even in other households that would be the case yeah sure I guess you had a a, like a almost like this map that they gave you which was like okay we're going to look after you for now make sure you finish your studies and then you get married it was like okay and then it's their responsibility yeah then husbands yeah exactly it was as if you were programmed yeah well you were because yeah at the end of the day you were you know you weren't resisting to having that wedding were you or resisting to marrying someone you didn't know you because know. that's that was the norm everywhere pretty yeah. much there was only one family I know where well, you know somebody didn't and she was sort of disowned yeah d- disowned completely yeah so that was the option basically do what we say okay. I mean I know they're not saying this pre- prescriptively but do what we say okay. otherwise you lose your family yeah exactly so it's not I'm guessing that's not even an option. I mean, you weren't even allowed to like go see your friends or have a life outside of the house, right? You just hung out with your sister and mother all the time. Yeah, it was a treat if you went to the shopping centre. Yeah, it was a treat, and you had, and that was during the daytime. And you weren't allowed to go to the pictures. Yeah, yeah. although we did sneak out a couple of times to go and see um, to the pictures when exams finished but that's about it but your brothers took you didn't they yeah and it doesn't sound like you had very much of a relationship with your dad like because he was always working like you didn't actually really know him if you know what I mean yeah no I mean that's true actually Mm. so you never had that attachment to him when you were little well I suppose if you look at attachment theory it's those first um, yeah and yeah. I didn't even see him yeah. when I was born. Uh, and then when I got here, you know, he was, he was sort of working to provide. That's how he saw his role, to provide. Which yeah, is what sure. He did. I mean, looking back on it, but... I, and again, I know that you loved being around your mum, but, but it always sounded like you took care of her a lot. She wasn't well, but never knew why. 
Yeah. You know, I think she got stuck because when I was really young, when we came up, it was my brother who used to comb my hair and stuff. And I, looking back on it, I think it affected her a lot because she left her sort of uh, brothers and sisters. She was in a... She, she was left a, her dad, didn't she? She left her dad. She was in a house on her own and people around her were all white. Yeah. So, so during the day, she was very isolated. But also, she couldn't really talk to her husband. Like he wasn't really a chatty <laughs> kind of man, was he? So no, no, he wasn't. Bless him. No. So like she, she would have been quite lonely because I know when she got older, she got her friends and yeah, had her community. then then but, she did. But and that's what I mean because then gradually the Asian community built up. But originally. There wasn't anybody. I mean, we lived in Wolverhampton and there wasn't many Asian faces around initially. Yeah. By the time I got married, there was quite a few. Childhood is pretty much what I'm sure if anyone's from a Indian background listening to this, then they probably could really relate because this is pretty standard stuff. Um, obviously, somebody from a white background that's listening, you might not be able to relate to the fact that, you know, we have arranged marriages in our culture. But there are similar themes in the sense that women in particular are not told from from the moment they're born and this still happens today is that they're not told to have any dreams other than being a wife and mother that's pretty much it right that's what you that's, yeah, yeah exactly. that's what you grow up watching your mum do and it, oh, and she was sad and lonely and not very happy but i'm not surprised why mm-hmm. she was just cleaning a house not just that's really important, yeah. but but i mean and like obviously she loved you guys but that was her only purpose and without mm. that no wonder she felt a bit empty if that was the case in cultures that are not the same as ours you know women in particular you know we're, t- we're told to be very small you know mm. not to have any kind of dreams or anything like that outside of those things i mean obviously it's extreme in our culture because we have our the arranged marriage and then that is a whole other thing that we're going to go into in a second. But, I mean, you've got some real themes here that people could relate to. In, first of all, in terms of like that patriarchy and that sexism, that's a really big thing because you grew up feeling like that and then you took that into your adult life, into your marriage, into, even to parenting your children, into me yeah. even. Yeah. So that's like, and that's super common. And that's trauma in a sense, because literally the way you're talking, you did not think for yourself. You didn't no, make decisions exactly. for yourself. You know, you and you were told who to be. You were told how to dress, weren't you? And you were told how to behave and you were told who you could talk to. And you, So it was a massively, again, norm, and you didn't realise at the time, massively controlling you and know, then when and you get married, the people who are controlling you just change, basically. Mm-hmm. Then you have like a mother-in-law and a husband. And, but while you're growing up, it's like, well, you can do what you like when you get married. But that's and just not like, true. Exactly. But that's what you were told. You can, you can buy the clothes, but you've got to take them with you. You can't wear nice clothes before you yeah. get married. Yeah, exactly. And then it was like... And you can't look too pretty. Yeah, you couldn't wear now. Exactly. You know, it it was that sort of thing. And then it was like, it was a trauma upon another trauma in terms of being married. Yeah, sure. It's not just your family, your home, your, you know, everybody you know is no longer part of your life in a sense. No choice but to do this even though like you were probably so cut off from your emotions you couldn't see how much you how badly it felt for you as well because marrying someone that you met dad what once a meeting of families at least you know now it's different on that point but it was a meeting of families he was asked if he wanted to ask me any questions in front of everybody he was just as nervous as I was because it was the same for him as well in that respect yeah yeah sure I but mean he could have said day, no yeah yeah whereas you couldn't and and also like you guys were only 22 21 mm. or something weren't you you were like super young your family was very different to dad's in the sense that you are not like a bunch of shouters the way you've always described it it wasn't like this super like no one beat people well they might no. sometimes but no beating up no like people being drunk no like massively no. abusive shouting like it was quite a when getting to this house it was they were very verbal <laughs> when my father-in-law was drunk and stuff and then later when my husband was but before that I'd never seen a person that was drunk yeah but the thing is I think my point just being there is that even though your family were quieter and didn't shout at you 
that they were still, even though they did not realize they were still being abusive by being controlling with you, by not letting yeah. you be the yeah. person that you were meant to be, by taking away your freedom, didn't express yourself. You weren't allowed didn't to have your, to. You weren't allowed to have yeah. a house. And I, and I know this is very normal in Punjabi culture, but the thing is that this is a normal in the sense of this is trauma. This is like, re, like from a very young age, you know, that's, that's what was going into you. And they were only doing it, like your mum and dad were only doing it because somebody had mm. done that to them as well. And that's how they'd been parenting. So they didn't realise they were being doing anything wrong. And where your parents had been brought up in India, where there was like so much poverty and, you know, the British were there. And there was, I mean, like your dad was in, in Burma when there was like wars and stuff. Like they saw some really bad things. So they kind of were like, let's, I'm guessing your dad was like, let's get to in England. It'll be safer there. And then I can give my family what we can't give them here. So he's coming, he's trying to ch give you guys something that you didn't have, but yeah. really he, he hadn't like, he must've had PTSD for some of the things that he saw in Burma. He never, that's the thing. I never knew what he'd been through till after he had died. For people listening, my granddad was in Burma, I think when there was a lot of troubles going on with the British, I believe. So his dad was killed in front of him or something. There's a story like that. But again, like he would never talk about his past or what happened to him over there. Same as with your mum as well. Like she would never talk about, I mean, she talked about losing her mum when she was young, but she never really talked about what her life was like. And it's only recently that we've found out that her dad actually used to drink quite a bit, but we never knew that. Like nobody ever really spoke about it. So like all of these things, their traumas, they hid, hid away as well. And they were just trying to carry on with their lives here, but obviously they were still under the surface. And then they were very quietly giving that trauma to you in various ways, obviously unknowingly. It just makes me really angry that, you know, if you're a girl, that is like some sort of genetic lottery. I mean, we don't have any control about whether we're a man or whether we're a woman. And the way that Punjabi culture thinks that in-laws will look after them and they won't look after their parents. I mean, that's just crap anyway. Like I, I, so many daughters look after their parents. So that's just, that's just like a program. Like you say, like, you know, everyone says it enough, then you start to believe it. Anyway, let's move on to, getting married then so like you mentioned your house was very quiet and then you meet the joe house who are crazy basically it's all out on the surface the trauma is out on the surface for everybody to see i think in dad's family right so it was very different from yours it was and i think it, it used to just scare me so much and i sort of said it a few times to your parents to, or i i said it to my mom and that it was like it's your kismet well, it, you know, which basically means fate. So yeah. basically, it's your you fate that that you would have this life. Not that they chose this man for you. Didn't do any checks on the family. I mean, and if they did do their research, they would have figured out that my granddad was actually an alcoholic. That wasn't a secret. It was known. So like, you got married into a family where my granddad was an alcoholic. It was a scary house. I mean, that's what we were born into. But I guess you tried to tell them that you weren't happy, but they were like, "Sorry, love, that's your life." see you later <laughs> like you know deal with it so I tried the, I think it was something really petty but I think I I was suffering from depression after I had you and I think my father-in-law was uh, said some horrible things and I told my mother-in-law I thought try it this way and she was like well you can't tell your husband you can't and I thought well what am I supposed to do? So I thought, okay, I'll go back home. You know, I'm working. It's not as if I'm not able to bring my daughter up. I can. There's an empty house in Wolverhampton. I'll go there and carry on working. To me, that made sense. I was making a decision, which I thought was right for me and my daughter and you. Yeah. Um, and I got there and my uncle, bless him, he was great. Uh, and then my dad phoned and he said, no, you have to go back. Mm -hmm. Not even a discussion in terms of why. And it was never talked about again. As though I. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, like your dad and your family was incredibly responsible for putting you in a house where there was so much abuse going on. And not only that, they were encouraging you to have children to put them in that situation at the end of the day. And, you know, it wasn't a safe environment to bring up children. It was 
it was scary. And that's what we, what me and my brother, that's what we grew up in, you know, a very unstable environment. Whereas, well, you were distracted by all of that. So even though, you know, dad wasn't so bad when we were super young, you were both distracted by the drama of an alcoholic granddad and also of grandma who was very unwell. So you were both distracted by them that we, you know, we were kind of just left. And it was wrong, but it was like you had a list of stuff you know, you had responsibilities that you had to look after them. And then, you, you know, so you're, you're juggling all those bits. And it was like... Well, you had to look after them, even them. though they were, they were horrible to yeah. I mean, not always my grandma, but definitely my granddad. And even after my grandma died, got even worse. He got, he got yeah. worse then. He drank way more. And then, you know, you were still responsible for taking care of him. You would have been, like, seriously got some backlash if you told him to leave, for example, you know. That was yeah, just, exactly. That was, that yeah, was just not an option. It was like it's not an option. Yeah, it's like this is your this is your fate. Yeah, exactly. And and your children's fate, by the way. You know. Yeah, ex- yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's pretty much what everybody said, anyway. Like, and I think for me, when I grew up, it was like, oh, this is the life that if if you believe in God, but this is the life that God thought was worthy for us. You know, like a shitty one, an unsafe one. And that's just a horrible way to think about life and a really powerless way of looking at it as well, which our, my granddad, dad's dad got worse and we had to do things like lock doors. We had to do a lot of stuff to try to keep ourselves safe, didn't we? Because he he was really unpredictable at times, but nobody really cared about that. It was just like, we looked like on the face that we were this perfect family, you know, that you and dad were both educated. You had a boy and a girl. He looked like holidays, so yeah, to the right. outside world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he you looked after like, your granddad, and oh, you know, um, everyone we used to say what a great daughter-in-law you were because you took care of your mother-in-law till you know she died. Got some great brownie points there. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, there was a lot of 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 trauma that was being created because it was such a volatile, unsafe environment to grow up in. And obviously really different to what you grew up in, in the sense of because of the addiction, but still similar in the sense of controlling. A lot of control there. You weren't allowed to do what you wanted in your married home either, were you? Or to bring up your kids how you wanted either. No. And it was also about, yeah, you couldn't have sort of invite people around for a meal or something because you just didn't know how it was going to go. You just didn't. It yeah. was just about the only way you could breathe is if going to work. Mm. Both of dad's parents had died by the time I was probably about 11. So I think we all thought our lives were going to get better at that point. <laughs> That's not true. Um, so yeah, I guess then you started to realise maybe you hadn't been so aware of this before, but the actual problems with your marriage. I thought, okay, maybe it's because of his parents and stuff. But then afterwards, I think... Well, he, he, start, he started to change a lot after his mum died. I think. I think, yeah, he started then, but it got a lot worse afterwards. Yeah, because he, uh, he never drank, did he? And then when she started to get sick, that's when he started to drink a lot more or when he got married. I mean, he, he was looking for answers when she was ill of darted going to Jehovah's Witnesses, tried different things. And then he turned to drink because mm. he used to be out every day. And that's when it started. And at weddings... People could see that, but people, family didn't really want to know mm. because it didn't affect them. Even mm. though, you know, I hadn't done anything wrong, but I had by you guys. Well, I think what we're just trying to talk about here is just that, you know, when our parents maybe don't give us the things that we need, it's often because they are quite wounded themselves. Well, not quite, they're massively wounded themselves. And this is an example of that, like of all the things that you were carrying to the point you know, that you had us. And even we're going into a bit about dad, but like me and my brother, we were born like in the eighties in a house that was very unstable because of my granddad's drinking. But then also my dad became, started to drink when I was probably about, I don't know, three, something like that. I have memories Mm. of him drinking quite heavily and he was aggressive like his dad was as well. So it was scary. And we both, me and my brother, have really struggled to find that safety because we did not have it for the you know, for for our most of our lives. Not not our childhood years, not our teenage years, you know, and we've both been on our journeys to try to find that. And we'll go back onto us in a bit. But yeah, so if you just just a little bit about obviously so dad 
you know, again, and then he got worse, basically, as we started to become teenagers, he found that really difficult. So He, he couldn't deal with it. And I think he found his job hard. He himself had an incredible amount of trauma where he'd grown up with his dad drinking. He also, he had come to this country when he was a little bit older, when he's seven, and he was very much his mum's protector, wasn't he? Like from the oh, abuse yeah. in his house, like she was his person. So no wonder he found that hard when she died. Had a really bad upbringing. And then it's almost like when they died, he was really pissed, <laughs> really wanted to take that out on like everybody. So, you know, he was emotionally abusive to you, but to us too. And it was just, he was highly critical of everything. Yeah, just not very, like he would speak horribly. He would swear, he'd get angry, then he'd get drunk. You know, there was, it was a very, again, he'd become very unstable. I mean, I think that was always because of his trauma and he wasn't terrible to like the core or anything. But yeah, I guess we grew up watching that. And you, and you, like when I think about you in those years, I just think about how you were just trying really hard to not make him angry. So you were trying to do what he wanted all of the time, even when that meant that he wasn't the greatest parent to him. You know, because I do think that dad had quite narcissistic tendencies. So you were so preoccupied with him that, again, me and, me and my brother got like further neglect, if you like. And I think also in terms of, and if I did show you affection, yeah, then yeah. it was worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah Whereas yeah. you'd think, look, these are your children. They're not at somebody else's. But it was like he was competing. He was very suffocating Yeah. in, in that respect. It was like I, I couldn't sort of do something with you or, or Gugs. And he was jealous. I mean, who gets jealous of their kids? Yeah, somebody But he does. did. It, it, it was his... Somebody that's not mentally all, like, okay, basically. But, yeah. And, and we never told him. Well, I think I might have told him a couple of times as I got older. But we never... He desperately needed some help. You know, he desperately needed, like, mental health help. He was really not okay. It's more and it was out there now. Yeah. But in those days, it still wasn't a big thing. Yeah, no, of course. In terms I mean, it, of- wasn't even, it wasn't. But he was awful to you. But lots of women's husbands, lots of husbands were awful to Indian women. They all and just sat was, there and yeah, <laughs> but it was like, it and was nobody like, was leaving their husbands either, were they? So? Yeah, no, it was like, well, you know, you've got children, you've got response, you've got daughter, who's gonna? Yeah. It was, and that word still rings in my de- head. Who's gonna it's marry like, your daughter? No one. <laughs> I don't want to get married. It was though, but then it was that programming, yeah. and to think I could do an intelligent job out of the house, right? But my beliefs. And I believed that. Yeah. And, and also you wanted me to get married and have an arranged marriage and do all the things that, that you had done and that your mum had done um, because of that programme. Like you never, basically yeah. you never ever questioned it at all. And it was only, I guess, I think when me and my brother got older as well, we started to tell you that you should do something about it. And then when you tried to talk to family, they weren't particularly supportive about it again because everybody's running from that same program of a woman doesn't leave a husband no matter how unhappy she or her children well i suppose in our whole family i didn't know anybody who had done Mm, and it wasn't as if you know and i could stand on my own two feet and would be able to but it was you'll bring dishonor yeah it that was word. those sort of, those sort of words. And the thing is, going back to trauma after mom committed suicide, which is when you were eleven? Thirteen. You, yeah. Thirteen. And then nobody talked about it. Yeah, I guess I, I guess that's the other point. So as, that's the, yeah. as dad was getting worse. He was getting worse and I'd lost my mom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you became somebody that worked a lot and was doing like degrees outside of work so again me and me and my brother as well were kind of left with our dad quite a lot my head it was you're getting out you don't need me as much you know it was that same programming yeah that, that your mom my mom had. had even though I would think well how could mom do that yeah subconsciously I was doing exactly the same thing I'm thinking well you know once the kids are married I'm not needed Mm. well that's exactly how she felt so like you said she so she took her life in her 60s um again just feeling you know as a woman what's 
what's the purpose of you after you've had grandchildren and they've grown up and they didn't need her anymore? I mean, we don't know specifically what was going on in her mind. It was partly that and partly because like my dad had passed away about 18 months before that. So it was, that was her big role. Yeah. Looking after, uh, taking care of my dad. And then it was like, well, you know, all the kids are grown up now. And then I, held on to that to keep me going to make sure you kids but emotional stuff I didn't know how to deal with because I never had also you never saw your parents healthily grieve so I mean you didn't no. grieve, you didn't grieve her you just literally just got back you just carried on yeah I mean more than anything is like again you couldn't even choose to leave that situation and that's that's massively to do with the patriarchy as well, Mum. All through these years, while you're going through these traumas, you've obviously got two small people that you're taking through the traumas with you. When you're people pleasing all these people, like your family and your siblings and your cousin, whoever, everybody, to perform in this role of good wife and all this other crap, there's a lot of things that me and my brother missed out on that we've had, that we've struggled with, and again because of that program, you still expected us to do the same things. And and I know that you did eventually did leave dad when I was like in my mid twenties. And unfortunately that's when he took his life. Point is as well, my dad too, I mean, obviously he's not here to have this discussion with, but he'd had his own traumas and his dad had killed himself with alcohol. He pretty much chose to kill himself too, because he didn't want to deal with his traumas. And I guess after he died and obviously there was a lot of backlash for him taking his life and we were blamed a lot for that and also you leaving was blamed a lot for that but again because it's your fault not all the years of abuse and all the years of trauma turned 50 and I I was fuming and it's so weird because I I'd kept all the emotions since my mum had passed away well 11 years before that and I I had buried them basically by working and drinking uh, I buried it all. And then I had this, and it was, for me, this was the rage. He decided to do this. You know, it was like he he needed to get his back on me because I'd left him three months earlier. No, I was I few, yeah. I, mean, I know it wasn't, but to me, that's what it felt. And for the first time, I needed to talk. That's when I went to therapy because it was always, well, you don't talk about your problems outside. And I thought, well, what can anybody do to me now? Well, you became you know, a rebel I, then. <laughs> I think that's when we get the rebel family. Dysfunctional, as people would call us. But it was like... Yeah, I think know. after he took his life, we all were like, we're not doing what we've been doing. Yeah, that's and it. We just got to work that's out it. what we want to do. But that's kind of what happened. But I know that, you know, and... I, and I guess that you'll be different to a lot of people's parents because you, since then, you've been on your own journey of like healing and sort of overcoming some of these things. And obviously I know that you feel bad for messing up your children, basically. <laughs> Even though me and me and my brother, we have a lot of empathy for what happened to you and stuff, but I guess we're both trying to work out the impact on the little people that didn't get what they mm. needed. And that, as an adult, I think, and for me personally, like with all this intergenerational trauma, it's about me reparenting myself. And that's weird because dad's not around anymore. So it's kind of less complicated, but you're still here. So I think sometimes I still- <laughs> The silent one. <laughs> yeah, but I think I still want you to be my like that parent that I didn't have when I was younger. And you don't, and you can't always do it because you're obviously on your own journey. And I think for me, that's a, a big lesson is that you know, even like my mum is super more aware of these things and I can have maybe discussions with her, but that doesn't mean that she's now going to be the parent that I always needed. Mm. I think that's the, the point as when you're an adult and at, when you're on your healing journey that, you know, I know you, like I so desperately want you to say certain things that you don't say and but I have to give that to myself. And I think that's the important thing that our parents are healing and on their own journeys, recovering from their traumas. If they choose to, they might not choose to, so they might stay stuck in it. We have to kind of get to a level of acceptance ourselves that that we may not get that from them. And that's okay because we can give it to ourselves. I think that's really, really important to say that even though we have this relationship where we can have this conversation, you know, it's not perfect. And I'm still discovering memories and traumas and all kinds of stuff which that you can't go back in time and fix and do different and also you've got your own stuff going on and you're you're trying to overcome all the things that you've been through so um so what would you do differently now knowing what you know 
And if somebody was in your situation now, say at my age or whatever. You only have one life. Mm. Uh, Learn to love yourself, which I've only learned in my 60s. And do what feels... It's never too late. And follow your gut in terms of what is right. Beliefs, you know, you have certain beliefs that you grow up with. You learn and you unlearn and you go with what is right for you. That's right. And I think it's really important to start to recognise what do you actually believe in and what programme have you been downloaded? Because especially in the Punjabi culture, we have like a lot of very strong programmes that blocked all of our thought patterns. So underneath all of that, who are you? And also, who is it working for? Like, be honest about it is it working for your parents is it working for your grandparents is it working for your aunties are these people really happy fulfilled people that have their own um aspirations themselves individually i mean like if you're really honest with yourself is it really working for other people because we believe this like these beliefs so strongly but we don't even know where we get about if a woman was in a like relationship say a bit like you and dad like an abusive situation maybe you've got young children um you really know. think seriously about how it impacts on your kid don't go by what people say you, you know look at it properly with us it's not just the financial side yeah the emotional stuff leaves a lot deeper scars which are a lot harder to heal you know have faith in yourself you need to learn to love, become stronger in yourself so that you can look after your children. Yeah. And I think one other point that I want to make on top of that, mum, is that also you as an individual, so whoever you are that's listening to this that can relate, but you also deserve better because you inside of you is a child that was hurt too. And by, put, by staying in a situation where you are getting hurt further is really completely damaging to you as a person so more than anything like yes of course you know think of your children and stuff like that but seriously think about yourself too because you deserve better than that and there is better than that there's not just you know like how we were conditioned to believe that fate kismet means that my life that somebody decided that I was going to grow up in a family where there was a lot of trauma and abuse so therefore that's what I'm going to have you know I was on a road to go marry someone like that too I I was very lucky that something saved me because I tried a couple of times it just didn't work at the end of the day you deserve better as well and by you being happier and healthier, you will be a better parent. And having one healthier parent, I think, is so much better than having two that are not okay. Basically, that's from my own opinion. So what would you... But you know, people from your own generation, what would your advice be to them about... To your children. You know, it's not just... It's not about... Because you're the older... You're the parent. You have all the answers. Because you don't. Mm. You know, there's no book. There's no book when you have a child that says you have to do the, you've got the programming, which isn't always right, but also make it clear to them that they can come to you, that they should feel safe coming and talking to you. Mm. And you might not have the answers and that's okay, but at least make them feel comfortable to be able to talk to you. And again, I'm just going to say that as well, but also that, no matter what age you are, that it's important for you to focus on your own healing as well. That's what I would say. So no matter how old you are, you know, read books, get therapy, go get help because... I want holiday on your own. Like, Yeah, yeah, like we both have. Um, yeah. yeah, like figure out who you are and, they, and it's never too old to do that. Like, and, to, and also to practice self-care, that's really important with all of this, isn't it? I think you're probably one of the few people in your family that actually does that. So. I do that. I've learned that from you. So what about their parents don't understand? You know, like they choose to do something different. Well, then, you know, it depends what sort of age you are, but you need to sort of think it through for yourself as well uh it's quite easy to just you know okay this is my parent hat on now but it is about you 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 know you've trying to figure out what it is you want and actually you can say to a parent look this is what i need they might not be able to give you all of what you need start the ball the conversations going because if you don't say anything they'll never know and in all parents' hearts, what they want is the best for their kids. 
I don't yeah. know any parent who doesn't want that. Unfortunately, the parents program, in the heart, in their heart. Yeah, I was going to say you know, their program just, might be like telling exactly. something different, and that's the thing as well. Like, I know lots of people that can't have those conversations with their parents are still trying to please them, and that's and that's the problem because that's what what leads to your own unhappiness and intergenerational trauma repeating because you're trying to do that, but it's like your life and you can talk to them about why you're doing things try to change their viewpoint but they may not change and that's that's and that's really up to up to them but you only you know get one life but when you think mum about like your mum you and me how similar we all are in terms of our repeating sort of behaviors right like with the suicidal thoughts and low self-worth low confidence people pleasing codependent all that kind of stuff. We were all pretty much the same. So I was definitely following a program that I'd learned from you and from her. Mm. And now I try to figure out who I actually am and what, what I believe in. And like, I'm still on the fence about marriage and stuff. So <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see about that one. And also, obviously you've been doing all this work on yourself saying what it is that you're doing because you've created your own business now as well and how well, you're helping other people. Well, once I did in terms of what I wanted to do after I went for some counseling and stuff I sort of thought about and I had a career in housing and I thought seriously do I really want to stay here or or what's my desire and my heart's dream was to help other women not go through what I had so I thought okay counseling so I studied to become a counsellor and then and then I did some other courses it was like trying to find different things to try and help women and that's become my dream in a sense I lost my mom in a sense when my dad died she became invisible to a certain extent when she died part of me did but this now for me it's about becoming visible again after grief and loss actually as well because losses hurt you as much as when somebody actually physically died a relationship that doesn't work out you a belief not, even a belief not being able to have children these are all big losses and it's about trying to help women move past that to get yeah. to to be there on the journey with them to talk about it, the feelings and everything, and then to move, help them move forward. So my business is becoming visible. Yep. And how and what services will you be providing? Services I provide. I provide pure counselling. Not all you want. What you need is to be able to just all that rage and all those feelings and stuff to be able to bring. You don't want somebody to tell you anything. You just want to process them. So I have a package which is purely that, which is just pure counselling. I have another package which is just purely like a one-off hip and two sessions of like hypnotherapy and that's about actually slow self-esteem it's all the negative thoughts in your head reprogramming them uh, and then thinking about what you want to do going forward and then uh, doing that has uh, a hypnotherapy session and then actually giving it to the client and then I have like a in-depth package which is starting with counseling and then a combination of coaching and hypnotherapy in terms of where you want to get to because with grief you can get quite stuck and not you can't look forward and it's also about holding your hand to move forward so you do hypnotherapy and counseling and obviously you understand different cultures as well don't you so that's like if you're if somebody's looking for a counselor that you know understands maybe some of the things that we've spoken about today, then it's always good to speak to somebody like you. So what I'll do is I'll put your website into the episode notes so people can contact you if they want you to help them. But um, I just wanted to say that for anybody that's listening to this, as you can see that we've gone through, I guess, my mum's life and her traumas. and And then doing that process has helped me to, over time and not always all of the time be able to forgive some of the things that for some of the things that happened 
that hurt me. So it's given me that bigger picture that I was born into. So that's why I believe that intergenerational trauma is a really important part of healing because it gives us that perspective that our parents had their own story and their own traumas and they are also human. And as children, we all, and I'm sure you did this as well, mum, mm. we put our parents on a pedestal and we think that they're perfect and we think we have all the, they have the answers. As my mum has described here today, she did not have all the answers. There was obviously a lot of reasons why she made the mistakes that she did. But also you were never given the opportunity to grow up. So you were literally like a child having children. So, you know, there's a lot of things which meant me and my brother didn't get what we needed. But I believe that when we become adults, it's our responsibility to heal those things and give them to ourselves. So yeah, of course, you know, it's natural to be angry with your parents or feel upset with them. That's an important, like mum described earlier, that's we're grieving, basically we're grieving the things that we didn't get. But I think the way that you can move through this is over time when you're ready to, to forgive slowly. And that's why, you know, like we've just done this with one parent. You have, obviously you have two parents. So like, if you're able to do that with your other one, even if you can't have the conversation with them, you may know lots of bits about their story or even things that my mum has mentioned here. Maybe that's something that relates to you and your, your parent's story of just having that understanding them and seeing them as human. I think it's really important. That's been great, mum. Thanks for answering all the questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? No, that's it. It's enough. (laughs) That's great. Thank you. Thank Thank you. If you would like some help with understanding your family's intergenerational trauma and you don't know where to start, next year I'm launching some new products and services. I'm doing a two-hour session one-to-one called Trauma in Your Tree, Finding the Trauma in Your Tree. So if you just want a one-off session and you want to figure out what that bigger picture looks like that's affecting you today, drop me a message sign up for a discovery call which is about half an hour i'm also doing an eight-week group coaching program starting in february and a one-to-one group coaching program for eight weeks as well so this is where i go through my approach that i've done on myself where we transform this intergenerational trauma like i've been talking about in this episode and put myself in a place where i'm happy healthy and doing something that i love which is creating this podcast for you guys but also in other areas of my life as well this is not things that i ever thought was possible for me after the childhood that i have but i know it's possible and i know that i can help you to get there as well so if you're interested look at the episode notes and send me a message via my website on instagram and we can talk about a discovery call and there we have it guys an episode completed i hope you enjoyed it and it raised a load of awareness in your mind there was alarm bells going you were all like ding that's totally me because that's what i was like when i started this journey and that is the start of the process finding out this information and realizing it has happened in your own life so i really hope it was helpful and before the next episode coming out next wednesday be sure to check us out on instagram so it's hearts underscore underscore happiness also we have a youtube channel where i share the videos i create for instagram on so you can check that out they come on about once a week and then we also have a facebook group if you want to join to carry on the conversation i want to create a community where we're all talking about our very real experiences and traumas and then there is also my website called heartshappiness.co.uk which you can check out to join our mailing list so that as i create new services and support tools for you all you're the first to find out and i have a freebie on there so definitely check that out it's five books that transformed my healing so if you really want to kickstart and you know you're liking the content in here these books are like the basis of so much of my knowledge so definitely check that out and i will speak to you next week i'm so excited to continue this journey with you to help you to find your own heart's happiness take care